Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Awesome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rebecca. All right, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew in our Sunday gatherings. If you've been here to church any one of the last Sundays, you probably figured that out already. And it's been so good to, to set our eyes on Jesus, see what he does, and then do what he does in practice uh, with our communities. It's been beautiful. But uh, like I said, though, today is going to be a little different than normal. How many of you were able to participate in any way in seven last week? Oh my gosh, yeah, that's a great number. So seven. For those of you that don't know, last week was uh, seven, which is a week of prayer and fasting involving multiple churches across San Diego. And I just want to say, it was incredible. You guys, it was incredible. Uh, Like, so good. So much unity between churches all over the city. So many stories of God moving in people's lives. And for the leadership, for us, for the leadership of Park Hill Church, God provided more clarity and more vision for where our church is headed and where we're, where we're going as a church family. And honestly, when I think about the next couple of decades in my imagination and through prayer, I am more convinced that ever, than ever that the way forward for the church of the future, the church of the future is not gonna be marked by better Sunday gatherings or better preaching or better music, or a better property. The church of the future is going to be marked by a relentless commitment to prayer. Like prayer is gonna mark the thriving church of the future. And we valued last week so much. We're calling this church, all of you, to come out to pre-gathering prayer every Sunday morning, 45 minutes before the gathering, where we seek God on behalf of his church. And every Wednesday morning, right here, Uh, where we pray from 7 to 8 a.m., Wednesday morning prayer, which brings us to the vision for today. Like I said, it'll be different. On the heels of seven, seven days in a row of gathering in different places and crying out to God, on the heels of that, we're gonna continue, we're just gonna roll it into today and just call today eight, okay? So, So we're gonna do the same rhythm. So today's teaching will be a lot shorter than normal, to which there was... Great applause, probably. But today, it's gonna be a lot, it's gonna be a lot shorter, 
And it will, it will lead us, the teaching will just roll. It'll lead us right into an extended time of worship and communion and prayer and waiting on the Holy Spirit together. Several different people from our church community are gonna come up and lead different prayer moments. And we're just gonna respond by praying how they lead us. I think God wants to do something special. I think he wants, I know this is the most charismatic thing to say, but I think he wants breakthrough for our church. I think he wants to see more growth and more fruit coming out of our church. So, so let me ask you, family, family of God, the family God's rallying around Jesus, are, can I ask, are you ready to seek the spirit in that way today? Amen. Good, so, so what we're gonna do, we're gonna start in Matthew 22. And as we start this chapter, we have to realize, this chapter, it, it's like coming into the middle of a conversation that's already going, which is usually awkward. Um, so just before this, let's get caught up to speed. Remember, Jesus walks up to the temple courts, Israel's corrupt leaders, they're ready. They're waiting for Jesus like to trap him and they openly challenge his authority and Jesus responds with three parables. Parables. They're stories about a truth about the kingdom that Jesus wants us to internalize. Jesus liked to teach with parables. So here's the first parable. Just gonna sum up. First parable, here's a slide, I think. Do you have that slide? The first parable, Matthew 21. I don't know if you have it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so those three lines sum it up. A father tells two sons to obey him. The first son says, sure, but disobeys. This, the other son says, no, and insults his father, but repents and ends up obeying. And here's the point of that parable. It doesn't matter if you're a religious person or have a background as a sex worker. If you confess Jesus as Lord and obey his teachings, the kingdom belongs to you. That's the point of that parable. And then the second one, right after it, uh, it's verses 33 through 46 of chapter 21, it's a similar point. A gracious landowner plants a vineyard, rents it to some farmers. The landowner sends his servants to collect his fruit. It belongs to him. The farmers beat up and kill the servants who were sent. A uh, little extra, I think. Uh, so the farmers start thinking they own the place. The farmers actually think they own the place. And the landowner sends his son, who also gets killed by the farmers. So here's the point. Israel's leaders, they continue to bear bad fruit and reject Jesus as Lord, so they lose the kingdom. And now, in this new era that we're in, the kingdom belongs to everyone. Regardless of race, class, culture, language, the kingdom belongs to everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and obeys his teachings. So hopefully you see the connection there. You see the connection. Jesus is pronouncing judgment on Israel's leaders who continue in disbelief. And he's beginning a new movement called the church. The Jewish temple of their day is no longer the headquarters of the kingdom. From now on, to use Jesus' language, from now on, the headquarters of God's kingdom will be the global, multi-ethnic, multicultural church of Jesus. It's so beautiful. Jesus, it's such, such a powerful shift in the story of God. Now, God's headquarters in the world is this worldwide community that's committed to obeying the teachings of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's you and me. That's what we're called to be. 
Which brings us to the third parable today that Rebecca read. We already read it together, so let me sum it up here with a third slide. So the third parable. A king prepares a wedding feast for his son. So, so the father is the king, the son is Jesus. A king prepares a wedding feast for his son. The invited guests violently reject the invitation. The king punishes their violence. And now, in the new era, everyone is invited, the good and the bad. Someone shows up to the wedding feast without wedding clothes, the king kicks the guy out, okay? That's the story. So in this parable, there's this guy. The king steps into the feast, loving that there's guests there, and the king sees a guy who, who, who's without wedding clothes, and he gets kicked out. So let me ask you a question about clothes just to get this conversation going. Uh, what is clothing for? Covering, that's the very practical side of it, but it's worth, I mean, it does so much more than that, right? I mean, it communicates, like, wh- who, where you're from, what you're into. Like, it communicates culture, so much about culture. You, you want to be perceived as something by the clothes you wear. It's probably maybe the most intimate and persi- consistent aspect of your cultural communication in your life. It's constantly on your body. So you're communicating how you want to be perceived. You even communicate to yourself how you want to see yourself through the clothes you wear. So clothing is actually powerful. It's practically covering, but it's so much more than that. Um, Big time. So how many of you guys love going to weddings? Less than half. (laughs) Way less. Makes sense? I've kind of always liked weddings and going to them. But when I was in my early 20s, I just wanted to show up as underdressed as possible. Like, I was just like, oh, why do I have to get dressed? Like, can I just, can I, I, the question was always, can I just get by with this? That was my question. Um, why? Why is that? I mean, to be honest, it's because I want to show up on my own terms. And that's exactly what this guy's doing. In the parable, he's showing up to the king's wedding. The king, it's not just his buddy. He's showing up to the king's royal wedding on his own terms. That's really the problem in this story. I mean, clearly he knew who the king was. He heard the invitation. He clearly knew what kind of party this was going to be. And he had plenty of time and resources to make the right choice but he chose not to respond appropriately. So again, why would, I sh- why would I want to show up underdressed to a wedding on my own terms? Why would I have that attitude? If I'm honest, again, it's because I have a really high view of myself and a really low view of my host. I I, want to act like I'm the one calling the shots, even though it's not my party. I mean, that's so insulting, deeply insulting. It's like, I'm just going to show up the way I want to. How close can I get to the way I want to be at this party? That's the problem in this story. It's all about the problem of coming to Jesus on our own terms. You can't come into the kingdom that way. You can't come into the kingdom that way. 
But we have to remember, keep in mind, the great truths in this story, it all starts out with this God who's number one. It starts out with this God. God is extremely generous. God is extremely generous. That's what you gotta keep that in the forefront. That's how it starts. I mean, his extreme generosity is all over the place in this story. He tries over and over to invite people who keep insulting him. That's so generous. In ancient Jewish culture, a wedding feast was one of the most joy-filled events you could fathom. In ancient, in ancient times, a wedding feast could, one feast could last up to a week. So fun, so fun. In this story here, the king prepares one of these feasts big enough to feed the planet, okay? He's generous, he's generous. And if you haven't figured it out, what does this wedding feast represent? It represents the eternal life and abundant joy we experience in the presence of God when Jesus Christ comes and heaven crashes into earth once and for all and justice is done and, and you have this thing called the new heavens and new earth that we are all longing to live with Jesus forever in. It's amazing what's to come. This is our hope. This is our hope. That's what this wedding feast represents. God is generous. And, and the other thing you have to keep in mind is that God gives everyone an invitation. The invitation goes out to everyone. Everyone. It says the good and the bad. I mean, he's radically inclusive in his invitation. He does the unthinkable. In Jewish culture, it was very tribal. It was very, there were boundary markers everywhere. But this king does the unthinkable, and he sends his servants everywhere to the main cultural intersections, the main streets, downtown, the most busy intersections you can find, and he just starts inviting. He starts for looking everybody, and he gathers together, as it says, he gathers the bad as well as the good. It's amazing, everyone. Like, I love that. So what does that mean? Everyone you and I put in the bad bucket in our minds. Like, who's in your bad bucket? We all have someone or something or some party or some ideology. And whoever subscribes to that ideology, well, they're in the bad bucket. Like, we, we tend to do that. So, so everyone we put in the bad category, the king has invited them. The king has invited them. And even everyone we put in our good bucket, the same invitation. It's the same invitation. Everyone. So, so Democrat, Republican, bright red MAGA hat, Afghan turban, gay, straight, male, female, trans, you, me, we are all invited to the wedding feast, to the kingdom of God. And here's the thing, but nobody can come on their own terms. Nobody can come on their own terms. And this is the point here. Jesus invites all, and since it's his party, we can only enter on his terms. And what are Jesus' terms? Here it is. I must admit my need and join in his healing and forgiveness. That's the king's terms. And Jesus makes that point in all three parables. Here's the three parables. Boom, boom, boom. Parable one. If you do the Father's will, the kingdom is yours. Parable two. 
if you bear the fruit of obedience, the kingdom's yours. And then this parable, parable three, if you put on the clothes of obedience, the clothing of Christ, the kingdom's yours. You guys, this is all about stepping into the culture of Jesus. Remember, clothing communicates culture. This is all about stepping into Jesus's culture. And stepping into Jesus's culture means moving away from competing cultures. It's about surrendering our agenda to Jesus's agenda. We take our money, it involves our money, our time, your talent, our ambitions and our careers, your dreams, our personalities, our sexuality, our relationships, our singleness, our marriages, and we hold it all up to Jesus, and we say, Lord Jesus, my King, everything that I am and everything that I have, it's a gift from you in the first place. All I am is yours, so Lord, have your way all the way down in me, even if it means the death of my own agenda. Paul says it this way. Paul's really good at summing things up like this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? So now, Jesus is inviting all of us deeper into his kingdom. When Jesus invites you into his kingdom, he's inviting you to come and die so that you can fully live. And that's the invitation today. Die to your agenda and your old way of living, and through that death, you'll actually find fully flourishing life in the eternal feast, the kingdom of God, these are the king's wedding clothes. He's inviting you to put them on. He's provided them for you. They're in your hands. You just got to put them on. Paul puts it this way. This is powerful. I think this is timely for Park Hill Church and as we plant Neighbors Church and all future churches. But right now in this, we're in first half of year two. And we are literally, I think of those choose your own adventure books. <laughs> you know, like which page are you going to turn to? Um, this is timely for us. Romans 13 says this. Oh my gosh. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The wedding feast is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's almost over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's, verse 13, let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality. And some of us these days don't know what that means. Sexual immorality just means sex with someone you are not married to, very simply. So, so let's behave not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't even think about how to gratify the lusts of your flesh. 
intentionally put on Jesus' culture. This is my prayer for our community right now. This is my prayer for many moments in this week of prayer and fasting. This is my prayer for our church. Lord, would you wash your bride, which is a revelation metaphor for church. Would you wash our, wash our bride, wash your people? Why? Because we're all invited to come in the wedding. <laughs> we're invited to this feast. And at the end of the Bible, look at this worship song about this feast. Everyone's, here's the story of this passage. Everyone's there, everyone's watching God win. And then the wedding feast is about to begin. This is the end of the story. And look at this song that they sing. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride, the lamb is Jesus, the bride is us, it's the church. The wedding of Jesus has come and the church, his bride, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then if you're like, what's the fine linen represent? Literally the next verse, John explains what the fine linen is. That's in the Bible right there. He says the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Put that on. Wake up. It's time to put that on. So if you've been around for the last three weeks, the message has been very similar. Because Jesus' three parables, he's serious about his people's obedience. He's calling us now by his spirit. He's here in the room. He's breathing in the fragrance of good fruit. And he's calling us to more good fruit, deeper integrity, committed community, like showing up for weekly community, showing up for authentic, vulnerable transparency. I love that song, to you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. What if we could say about this room every Sunday and every community at Park Hill Church, what if we could actually say, Nothing here is hidden. It's the church Jesus longs for. It's the church he longs for, and, and that's what he's calling us, to greater obedience. And the reason, you guys, there's an eternal reason. There's this eternal wedding feast that we are invited to prepare for. To prepare for. And Peter, Peter says it like this, 2 Peter 3. He says, but in keeping with this promise, the promise of the wedding feast, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's, that's the day. That's it. That's the feast, the new heaven and new earth. It's literally physically coming, whether you like it or not. It's going to be beautiful. And, and, and so he says, so what? So then, verse 14, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So what does that sound like? Does that sound like, how underdressed can I actually be for this wedding? You know, like, it's not about how close to the line I can get. It's about how prepared for my Lord can I be. That's the invitation. Jesus is crystal clear on this. And right now at Park Hill Church, the invitation is being given to you. Everyone's invited to this wedding feast, put on by an extremely generous father. And everyone comes in on Jesus's terms. 
confessing him as the authority of your life, admitting your need for his healing and joining in his forgiveness and becoming a forgiver like him and obeying his teachings. In fact, everyone you know that you work with, your workplace, think of your coworkers, they're invited to the feast. Think of your neighbor, who you don't, you don't know their name yet, they're invited to the feast. These people are invited to the wedding feast and his servants, that is you who follow Jesus, are sent with the invitation in your hand. This is what Jesus, this is a parable, literally Jesus is old school evangelism here right now. And he's calling you to invite, like the good and the bad and the ugly in your life. The person you're at odds with, that enemy you have, that person that you just haven't been able to talk to, Jesus wants to invite them through you. So here's what we're gonna do today. This is the end. We're gonna move into a time of prayer that we would join in Jesus' heart. We've been hearing it for three weeks. And we've been praying into it for seven days. We're gonna spend the rest of this gathering praying for the church, praying for our city and ourselves. In very specific ways, we're gonna have several people come up and lead us in prayer. Uh, and this is a continuation of how we've been praying. And you guys, we are so ready for this kind of prayer to become the culture that we live and breathe. We wanna wear Jesus' culture. We wanna wear his clothing uh, at Park Hill Church. And it all begins on our knees. He has provided it. He has given us the power to live in it. Now we partner with him through prayer and in walking in it. As I go to the piano and we begin a time of worship and listening and prayer and, and petition, I wanna put these, this slide of questions up on the screen. I'm just gonna let it hang. I'm just gonna let it be silent. Just take a deep breath and, and let these questions enter.